Hello everyone, Dr. Berlin here, and as we immerse ourselves in the festive spirit, I have two exciting updates to share with you. Firstly, a heartfelt thank you for tuning into the Informed Pregnancy podcast. Nearly 15 years ago, I embarked on this journey driven by a vision to build a comprehensive resource for expecting parents and families. It's been an absolute honor to feature real-life parenting stories and collaborate with a diverse array of birth industry experts. Our aim has always been to empower you with knowledge, and knowing that our efforts resonate with you is incredibly fulfilling. Here's a fun fact. Our first episode was recorded in a professional sound studio in Santa Monica, California for $3,000. It taught me a valuable lesson, which is that my clothing closet has surprisingly excellent acoustics, too. Moving on to an exciting announcement, after more than two years of dedicated work, we are thrilled to introduce Informed Pregnancy Plus, your new go-to streaming platform for everything related to pregnancy, parenting, and postpartum life. Informed Pregnancy Plus is a treasure trove of resources, fitness classes, independent films, Legendary works like The Business of Being Born and Orgasmic Birth, and so many more documentaries, web series, and other content. We've created a space where you can find what you need and perhaps stumble upon something inspiring and new. Kick off your journey with a complimentary three-day trial to explore our meticulously curated content. Your feedback is invaluable to us, so please share your thoughts. Moreover, If there's a film or filmmaker, a course, workshop, meditation, anything that you believe we should feature, don't hesitate to reach out via email or Instagram. Discover our world of resources at informedpregnancy.tv. Wishing you a joyous holiday season, merry everything, and a prosperous 2024 filled with health, peace, joy, and success in all of your endeavors. And now, as a special treat, please enjoy this holiday rebroadcast of my interview with Ricky Lake, celebrating the 10th anniversary of the iconic birth documentary, The Business of Being Born. It's a remarkable journey back to a film that has profoundly impacted the world of pregnancy and childbirth and continues to do so today. Enjoy. Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and I'm ecstatic to be sitting in the studio tonight with one of my true heroes and biggest inspirations for all of the informed pregnancy media. She's an Emmy award-winning television host and pop culture icon who built a career on her graciously candid sensibility and her authentic, relatable nature. She's a writer, producer, reproducer and has an enormous and extensive list of credits. Ricky Lake, welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. You're one of my favorite people. That can't be true. That is true. You, that is okay, true. so you In just found out. In the birth world, out, for sure. I'm very, I'm, I'm pretty famous among achy pregnant women. That's my, <laughs> that's my group And you of leave a lasting imprint I on do, them. I do, sometimes a little black and blue mark. <clears throat> I've left one on you. Yes, you have. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... 
you just found out minutes ago that I'm face blind. Yes. You didn't know that about me. I and didn't even know that was a thing. Most people never heard of it. But it's a real thing, and I, I literally could not pick my own face out from a lineup. Of so does other... that mean I look what – what do you see when you look when at I me? When I see you, mm-hmm. I see you just like anybody else sees you. Okay. Okay, so it's kind of like a digital camera that has no memory card. So when you're looking through it, you could see – but when you turn it off, you can't recall it ever. It's and gone. so how did you – okay, so now I'm going to be the eyes. interviewer. Now I'm going to switch and be oh, the okay, interviewer. Well, how weird. <laughs> it's great to be how on your show. How did you figure out you had, <laughs> you had this? <laughs> uh, I, my whole life, just thought I sucked at people and um, was maybe just didn't have a good memory or wasn't good with names. And then I randomly read an article in The New Yorker by Oliver Sacks, who's a neuroscientist oh, sure. who both had it oh, and wrote did. about it. He not only had this, but he also had building blindness. Same thing. He could see a building – his own home, he couldn't pick it out. So it's like amnesia. It's agnosia, which is, means you just can't save it. It's not like I forget who Ricky Lake is. I just can't pick you up by your face. I see. But I know your voice. Okay. I know your mannerisms. Um, sometimes you know your my hair. politics. And I know my... your politics. <laughs> um, but also, like, I always make goofy jokes. Because I need to hear somebody laugh, and that's how I tell people apart. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. See, I sometimes have short term memory issues, but I think it's because of the Ambien I took back in the day. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's, I don't I, take it anymore. But I, I, I just, for I just made time. sandwiches. That, yeah. that was the effect it had on me. <laughs> Even when you say Ambien, I get hungry. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Suddenly stuff is gone in the fridge the next morning. You have <laughs> no right. idea what happens. Ambien, sponsored by Oscar Mayer. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so. Um, when I think of you, so when I think of a person in memory in past, I can't. The fusiform gyrus, the part of your brain that saves faces, mine never developed. It just doesn't work. So when I think of you, I, right now I can't see your, I have my eyes closed, so I can't picture at all what you look like. Honestly, this is what I think about when I picture Ricky Lake is just a big, giant heart emoji. Oh, You're so heartful. And, and I love about you that you run headfirst and jump into whatever it is that you set your sights on. And Wait, you have you read that it. about me or are you saying that's your, that's saying your take that on me? You. Because that's, that's what I, descri- I describe myself as I, I am someone who jumps feet first and I always seem to land on my feet no matter what. You know, in every aspect of my career, every, every turn it's taken, it's never been really a conscious one. It's been kind of like I can do. I mean, it's just—it's literally like a like a something takes over me, and I think I can. I have this inner confidence. I guess I don't know. Maybe it's naivety, but um, I've I've been really lucky. I've been really lucky in in all of my life. I envy that because I sort of see what I want, and then I look at it and I set my sights on it, and then I go have some Ben and Jerry's and forget all about it and hope it comes <laughs> to me. But I envy like you see what you want, and you're just like I'm going to go get it, whatever it takes. I'm going to go. Yeah, go I guess take I it. have been that way. I and mean, if you if you get burned, you just pick yourself up. And dust I do yourself get burned. Off. I, I mean, know. There's I've seen been you get there's burned. been major like I, there's been trauma trauma like no other in this last year, and yet there's also magic that happens in my life. And um, and I appreciate it all. And I also say, like we say in the business of being born, one of those those catchphrases that stays with me is like, you can't have the ecstasy without the agony. They both go hand in hand. And oh, I think wow. that's true in birth. I think that's true in life. And I've certainly have my have had my share of agony and m- m- uh, thankfully a lot of ecstasy. I, I mean, that's really powerful because you see that as a doula, uh, I see that in labor that when you're, they go together. 
Mm-hmm. They go together. It's, you know, there's orgasmic birth that is in the movie, but then in, in reality, what you normally see is this combination. When when people can feel that kind of pleasure, it's a combination of mm-hmm. pain and pleasure together. I don't know anyone firsthand who's had an orgasm. You know birth. one person, I well, think. Well, the one who made the movie? What? No. Who? I probably shouldn't say her name. Okay, on yeah, the don't air, say but, her name. We can talk but about it. But you do know one person. I do know one person. Wow. Well, yeah, I, I, mean, I think that's really, <laughs> like her really, third really, or fourth really kid. rare. And yes. the orgasm is sort of you see that baby and it's you know it's a metaphor it's a it's not an actual orgasm but yeah it's it's a high like no other when you can have your baby on your own terms and feel empowered and and tapped into your power and see what you created and see what your body can do it's pretty uh I was once speaking at a conference and I said, nobody really has an orgasm, you know, during childbirth. And then one guy raised his hand and said, I did. Oh, that's (laughs) funny. (laughs) Great. Good for you, sir. That's hilarious. (laughs) Very supportive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, you mentioned this year of agony, so maybe we'll start backwards. Mm -hmm. Um, You recently, you were married and your husband, you lost your husband about a year ago. Just a year. This past week was a year. Yeah. On February 11th, 2017, my favorite person in the entire world chose to uh, take his life after suffering from mental illness for most of his life. I mean, I knew him for six and a half years, and I saw his struggle. I saw his struggle from learning issues, from chronic pain, um, you know, processing issues, and and ultimately the bipolar bipolar, uh, disorder. And um, it was, I mean, it's been the most traumatizing thing I've lived through, and I lived through 9-11 firsthand, watching the plane fly into the building with oh, a newborn. Wow. I mean, I, I've, 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 I've seen a lot in my life. Losing this person has been kind of um, the darkest period of my life and, and in some ways the greatest gift. I feel like I have truly spent this year grieving and, and partying going from festival to festival. I went to my first Burning Man. I went to the Eclipse Festival. I saw that I on have, Facebook. I mean, I've literally lived my life like I'm living for the two of us. And I brought his ashes to the temple at Burning Man. I brought him to oh, Ibiza. Wow. I, I had my clothes and at Burning Man. I had all these costumes made, and I lined his clothing on the inside of my clothing so that he could be with me. And it's like this last year has been about finding myself through my greatest loss. And... I feel like uh, coming after, just coming out of a year, um, I, I, in 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 most ways, I feel like I'm the best me I've ever been. Um, I feel like I know myself, and I, I I really like myself, and I am one of the most resilient people I think anyone's ever you met. You are. You're like a cat. I I mean. First of all, I'm sorry that you went through that loss. And you I, knew him. You I, knew I him, and you also him. saw. You got to. You were. Uh, there were a lot of people, but but few. I mean, not that many people got to really see us. You saw him. We came to your house for Shabbat, and he was very manic at that time. Very social. Very, very social. Funny. Super happy. And, yeah. And, and just we, you know, we sang a lot and we mm-hmm. ate, and it he was a just great a day. great time. It was a great time. For and him he that was day. he was so full of heart and soul. He was the best. I'm telling you, I am going to be 50 years old in September. Oh my God! That, I uh, that, you're, <laughs> well, no, you can't told... see my face. So the truth is, you can't no, tell I can my see age. It. I just can't remember it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm turning 50 in September, and I wanted to say to say I've lived is like an understatement. I've had this extraordinary life, an incredible career, incredible people that have come into in and out of my life, and this one person was my absolute favorite. You know, so it says a lot, and. Um, 
And I know how much you cared about him. I, I just, I still, and, and he is with me, and I have had so many gifts that have come out of this relationship and this loss. I am better having known him. I feel like I am him. The best part of him is in me now, and I now have a level of compassion. Like, like you know, the birth stuff and women's choices and with their health and their bodies and their babies, like all of that was my passion, and now I'm sort of taking on mental illness awareness and suicide prevention prevention because I have to. I have to have him not have died in vain. I need to do more to help people. That is what he wanted in life was to be um, of service. And and I feel like he was a healer. He is just such a healer. Conversations that we yeah, had. he was. He just wanted to heal people. Yep. And he's doing it. He's doing it he's wherever doing he it. is. He's he's doing it through me. And absolutely. So the that's at the end of the day. You talked about agony and ecstasy, and but your agony agony becomes like a benefit for the world. Every time someone kicks you, you get up, dust yourself off, and stand up for everybody else who I try. Who I mean, I really it's kicked. it's it's like self reliance or self self preservation. And and I I loved this man so deeply and I and I am so lucky we found each other and I feel like it was divine intervention I feel like you know he always said he was he was very soulful and very spiritual um, and he always said we were together for something greater than just us and I believe that and I'm beginning to see it you know I, I spoke last week basically on the, the the day of the day of the shooting in Florida, I, mm-hmm. I, I was flying to Park uh, to uh, Boca Raton, which is right next to Parkland, and I was speaking at this Jewish um, mental health charity event. And it was the first time I was speaking publicly about Christian and about my loss. And uh, I couldn't believe it, but it was the town over from where the shooting had happened the day before. So here I was heading to speak about something so personal that I have yet to speak about, and I'm in this community where these people, their children go to that school. And so they're, I mean, it was just, and my husband took his life with a gun. You know, he was mentally ill, repeatedly hospitalized, suicide attempts, and yet he was able to get his hands on on a gun as well. And it just felt like there are no accidents that I was supposed to be there, that he was with me, that I was there to to help others and to help with my healing. And it was really profound. It was really, really intense. And um, just just this time in my life, I'm reminded that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. As, as always. Yeah, but I've, I've, I've struggled with that for, you know, for a long time. And, and when this happened to me and over this last year, I've had many moments of like, why me and why me, you know, feeling sorry for myself and being mad at the world. And, and, and I now, I've really made peace with it. I, I, I miss him every second of every day. I think of him all the time, but I also am so convinced that, that he hasn't left me. He's with me and I'm I'm doing our work together, and I'm doing I'm I'm making good out of of something horrible. Uh, I can't see I can't wait to see what you do with mm-hmm. it, what the two of you do with it, and well, uh, our first is our movie that's coming out next month. So, I have a movie that's premiering at South by Southwest called Weed the People, Weed with a D. Weed. Weed the people. Yep, and uh, the weed the weed that people like to smoke and vape and eat take oil from, but it's the focus is cancer and children. 
And this was Christian's pro- like passion project. It was his legacy. He's a producer on the film. It's dedicated to him. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, the 1111s. I always talk about 1111 because that was a significant number for him. I talk about it on Facebook a lot. In all of my story, it's all everything is 1111. And, and to him, I believe it meant eternal soulmates and twin flames. Hmm. And he, I went through all my, pho- my, my, my photos, and a lot of them, he would screenshot 1111 all the time. And it didn't make sense to me. But, but now... I see, it as a, I see the 11s everywhere, and I feel like it's my connection to him. And our film is having its world premiere on March 11th at 11 a.m. at South by Southwest. And again, I'm I don't kidding. think it's an accident. Oh, my goodness. Um, and, and so the f- you've been working on the film for a while. For five years. It's almost five years we've been making this film. So Abby Epstein, my director and partner from The Business of Being Born and all the other documentaries we've done together, we teamed up again. This was Christian's kind of... Like I said, it was his passion because he was trying to heal himself from chronic pain. And I remember he was talking about the oils and just for yeah. different, all sorts Doing of research different research for his own stuff and also for his grandfather who was struggling with late stage cancer. I was in physical pain. Physical pain, yeah. And, and, and headache, I mean, anything. I mean, ca- cannabis can be really useful for, for most any ailment. And so this was really the journey we started taking. And Abby said, hey, we should be documenting this. And it turned into this film, which the focus of the film is on children and cancer. Mm-hmm. So these are all, you know, we have about six kids in the film that all have different kinds of cancer. And uh, it's, it's, I believe it's a really important piece. You know, I think I, I, whether it has the impact that the business of being born has and ha- had and has, Remains to be seen, but I do think it's at a very, very timely time in our lives, you know, with oh, Jeff yeah. Sessions wanting to take away all the, you know, the, the the access that these other, these 29 states have gotten. He wants to reverse everything Obama has done as far as cannabis. I mean, I think it is, it is more timely than ever. So I think it'll be a great conversation starter. It's interesting. I can't wait to see it. Um, and also, do you know where people will be able to see it? Well, no, because I don't. We haven't sold the film, so basically, okay. the world premiere Hang is next there. month. Okay. But, yeah, but there's a website. There, kind. There's not even there's really a, a okay. website. I mean, that's the thing. The crazy <laughs> thing: the business of being born has literally changed. Safe to say, the the birth industry yeah. in a big, substantial way. I mean, I know the home birth rate has doubled in the country because of the film. I've, I heard that from an anthropologist, Robbie Davis Floyd, who's in our film, and I heard the C-section rate is flatlined for the first time in. I don't know how many, whatever, decades. decades yeah. yeah. But um, it's interesting. You know, it's like we, we, we never managed to, like, make our money back. You mm-hmm. know, we never managed to, like, break even or, you know, so. After a gazillion people watch the after, film. And that's great. And, you know, it wasn't really about that. But it yeah. would have been nice to get some money to be able to do the work that we do. Well, more you know? projects. Yeah. So it's just that that's been the hardest part is these funding for these projects and then, you know, keep sustaining ourselves, you okay. know. Well, as soon as the film is available someplace, yeah, I'll we'll, let you know. we'll send a, a yeah. newsletter out to our audience please, about it. Please, please. Um, it's interesting. You're talking to somebody. I've never done any recreational drugs at all, not even uh, marijuana. And my wife hasn't either. And people are always trying to encourage us, like, just do it. I'm like. Well, but cannabis let me say, is a medicine. Yeah, it's a medicine. I mean, it is I, recreational I, for some, but it is medicine. It is, it is literally saving lives, like, 
like in a huge ways. Epilepsy. I'm not opposed to it in any way. Yeah. I've just I've never had a need. Let's get high after I've this, never, Elliot. Maybe just maybe for the second <laughs> half. We can, Glenn, you, you don't, don't know what you're we, missing. No? Yeah. You might actually like recognize <laughs> someone after getting high. I don't know. You know what? That's a good experiment to do. <laughs> no, I'm have, not. I'm not. I'm not condoning. I mean, it, you know, I'm not. I'm not pushing you to to use drugs. No, I, I just uh, I did have this curiosity to take a whole bunch of people in their 40s who have never smoked up and like put them in a room and just. See what happens together. I say, won't go one step further, and let's use psychedelics. Um, okay, that's <laughs> the sequel. Uh, all right, I'm, we're going to spend the whole second half talking about the business of being born because it has been such a huge impact, and everybody who listens to our podcast knows about the business of being born. Probably has already seen it, or is getting a lot of pressure because from because you talk about it. it all the time. We do not only do we talk about it, but almost every guest who comes on the on the show talks about wow, it. Wow, that's amazing. Um, I mean, I'll tell you something. I mean, I know we're going to talk about it, but the again, like the whole idea that I jump feet first into something, I mean, that making that film was personal to me. I did not ever, ever anticipate that it would have the impact that it ha- would have, that people would have the interest in it. Like, it was really something that I felt I needed to do. It's a game changer. It, it's I, a game that, changer for, never, for, like, for individuals. It's a game changer even for hospitals and for birth as a whole, In at least in our country and probably beyond. Abby and I had no idea. We're going to get there. Um, let's. I, I want to go back to where did you come from? Where did you grow up? And... <laughs> oh, my good, goodness. I come from just outside of New York City, Westchester County. I'm from Hastings-on-Hudson, a very small, kind of quaint town, very, very... Um, you know, middle middle class, nothing too, I mean, quaint and sweet. And um, I was a kid that wanted to be in show business. I wanted to be on stage from, from a very on? early, very oh, really? early age. Like little, little girl. I was singing Shirley Temple and, <laughs> you, you know, obsessed with Annie. When I saw Annie on Broadway when I was like seven years old, I mean, that was like, I had to do that. I had to be up there. And um, it wasn't until I was 18 when I did my first film, Hairspray. Um, Were you I, taking like acting classes? Acting I was camp, acting. Or, you know? I was singing. I was singing in like little off Broadway reviews in New York. So I was really like studied as a singer when I was nine, oh, and I was actually a really like I was like a little Ethel Merman, like a little Broadway belter, you know. And um, and I did these little shows that were that were kind of like like off off Broadway, and they were they were really great training for me to to get in front of an audience and try to win over a crowd. I mean, that's really, and I, I loved it. I really, like, that was sort of my education as far as learning how to perform. It's cool that you had that drive as a kid, because most, most kids are like, don't don't look at me, <laughs> you know? No, I guess, I no, I didn't, I wasn't self-conscious. At all. I should have been. My mother was very reluctant to let me because she was afraid I would be rejected, and she didn't want me acting. She said I wasn't, when I wanted to audition for Annie, she said I wasn't the starving orphan type. So mm. my mother was anything but a <laughs> stage mom, but, um, but I had this kind of inner drive in me and this inner belief, and I think I, a lot of that came from my grandmother. How did you get um, from there to a talk show? Um, I wish I could say, oh, I thought of it, but I didn't. <laughs> you didn't. I okay. did not. I was actually really struggling finance- financially. I'd lost my house. I um, Literally, my house was foreclosed on me. I'd bought a house when I was really young, way too young. Bought two, you know, big, like a three-bedroom house. I was like a 19-year-old kid. What the hell did I need with a three-bedroom three house in the Hollywood parties. Hills? Oh, you well, were, I did you have parties here, with right no away? furniture. I came here when I was 19. Oh, yeah. wow. 
And, you know, it was a great lesson for me, but I basically was homeless for a little bit and living in a pool house and struggling. And I had been a guest on Letterman a lot. Like, I was one of those. I was like Sandra Bernhard. I was a really good guest. And mm-hmm. this was been when Letterman was back on CBS. And I would go on, you know, I would fill in for any guest that fell out. They'd fly me in and I'd have, you know, I'd basically flirt with him for a segment or two. <laughs> and... It was from that that they were looking – the producers were looking for a younger talk show host, a younger Oprah. Mm. And I was one of 100 girls that auditioned, interviewed, and they gave me the pilot. And I just was like – needed the money so bad. I was like, okay, I'll do it for five grand. You know, I needed the money so badly. And then it just kind of snowballed. Like it just moved me to New York, changed my life, you know, got me out of debt. You know, I mean, it just it became this phenomenon. And again, I didn't really, I, I, I didn't think twice when a 24 year old is offered to be a talk show host. I really didn't think I couldn't do it. I would channel Oprah, like I would sit there and I think, okay, what would Oprah say? What would oh, Oprah ask? And and, and yeah, because at 24, you don't have like that much life experience to the world. No, so. I didn't. I mean, but in that job, I mean, I think looking back on it, I was I'm I was naturally good at it, and and I think I I kind of. A lot of people can't do it because a lot of people tried to do what we did and couldn't do it. I was a re- I was really non-threatening, very relatable, likable, very open Super and candid. Relatable. Yeah, Which, yeah, and 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 because uh, I'm like eight years younger than you, so mm-hmm. I was 16, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, I don't feel well. I'm going to stay home from school, and then your show would come on. It was just so interesting to watch. Just interesting to watch you and your guests and your audience. How not to live your life. You know, a lot of it was like, okay, I'm not going to be in a relationship like that. But I think we were able to really be the voice and the presence for a younger generation. You know, we were doing topics that were that were of interest to them. I was treating everyone with respect. I mean, I really am proud of the work I did because, you know, I really did treat every relationship, whether it was a gay relationship, interracial, biracial, you know, I, I treated everyone with, 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 the, with the respect that I would want. And I think that went a long way. Like I meet people now, you know, I, I met someone at the airport, a gay man who thought, knew it was me. And he's like, I have to tell you, you helped me in coming out and being who I was because your show was the one place I could go. I grew up in Montana or whatever, and there was no one like me, but I could turn on your show and see gay people Other that were being people. treated well. Oh. So it was, you know, that, that kind of stuff really I look back on and I think wow we were kind of revolutionary in that time I remember feeling like you were curious mm-hmm. and confident and mm-hmm. those two things were like a little and I'm magical. a good listener I'm a really good listener and I really am curious and I you know I'm not like a comedian who like is thinking up the joke while someone's talking I was I was able to like really kind of pay attention move the story along kind of tie it up in a bow at the end as much as I could mm-hmm. you know get the conflict out you know like there were beats <laughs> there were like formulas that you yeah because you have a you have a time frame oh yeah and I could do it without time codes like I, I didn't wear an IFB so a lot of those hosts they wear which is an earpiece in your ear so that you can take cues from people in the control room, I refused to wear one, much to the chagrin of my team, because they didn't have control over me. I didn't right. want them telling me what to say, so I would do my own thing. And I, you know, I was really good at it. I won the Emmy. I'm so glad I don't do it anymore. But you I'm had fun s- at the time. I had a great time. I made yeah. a ton of money. I, I was at the height of my game. Like, I loved it, and I walked away from it. A 9-11 was a huge, huge, pivotal turning point for me personally, and I walked away from my show. I could have been still on like Maury and Jerry Springer now. I I did not want to do it anymore. It did not serve me. 
and it was it was out of 9-11, like literally watching a plane fly down the Hudson, crash into the building in my neighborhood, that made me want to really like reassess what I was doing with my life and really soul search as to where I could make an impact in a positive way. Where did you go from there? I moved. I left New York. I left my husband and I left my show. That's All it? of that took... I'm sorry, that's it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. Yeah, and I, I think I probably, you know, lost a few pounds in there. No, I I, um, I changed everything up, and it was conscious, and it was necessary. I mean, I did not feel safe. And I love New York. I'm a New Yorker through and through. I love my city. I go back, and it still takes my breath away. But I did not feel safe at the idea of having one child across town, the other one. You know, I just – I felt – I felt I don't know, and I think part of it was because I was a new I had a newborn, and I was this lactating lioness protecting my cubs, and I felt was so traumatized. I I did not want to be there anymore, and I sold that apartment, and I I've never looked back. I mean, did I, you move to California? I moved to California, oh, okay. yeah, and I moved here, and I got a divorce, and I really um, kind of regrouped and 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 really. So you had some two time. kids then. I had two. I, yeah, Milo was four at. And then Owen was uh, was two months old when nine wow. eleven happened, and we ended up moving out here. And, and I, I was going through divorce when they were six and two, so major like scary decisions I had to make. Um, ultimately, I think they were the best for everyone involved. I mean, I think my my ex husband might not have thought that way, but I think he's grown to love California. My kids definitely appreciate growing up here. And again, I love New York. I'm going back next month. I love it. But I also think I made the right decision for my family. It's just another example of Ricky, like, jumping in, you know, yeah. first. You, mm-hmm. you get this impulse and you're like, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I follow through. And, 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 and you know, I don't really have any many, many regrets in my life. Like, I can't think of one right now. You know, that's really cool. To, I, like, I mean, I'm sure look- I could. If I really thought about it, I'd come up with I'm one just saying, or two. But to be looking at 50 and say, I don't have... Huge regrets. I it would have to look for them. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I have, I would I have, have enormous sit. regrets. And you I'm, have I'm no. You can't. You. It's not worth it. It's not healthy to have regrets. Honestly, it's like moving forward. I mean, I think obviously, I wish I could have saved my husband a third time. I couldn't do that. Um, but you know, I know. I know. I've I've had a I've had a really great life. I have, and I continue to have a great life. Yeah, I feel like I'm very blessed in my life. I just there. I mean, there are regrets that I learned from. Mm-hmm. I wish. You know, as we're having more and more kids, that I was just home more with my kids and found a way to balance work and life better. But I learned from it now. Yes. And so I guess in in the long run, it's a learning experience mm-hmm. instead of a, a huge regret. Yeah. Um, I can talk to you for hours, but we don't have hours. So I'm going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the business of being born. Stay tuned. We're coming right back with Ricky Lake. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference 
consciously crafted for your health and the planet. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elian Berlin, and we're continuing our candid conversation with one of my personal heroes, Ricky Lake. All right, finally, we're up to the business of being born. We you, touched on it before, but we, yeah. We touched on it, finally. and it's hard not to be in your presence and be on a pregnancy podcast and not touch on it. But <laughs> um, So you move, like 9-11 happens, you just make these enormous changes and move to California, and you have these two little kids. At what point did did a film become a thing? Yeah, it wasn't initially a film. It was like a project because I, you know, after 9-11, I, I really did kind of go deep into where I could make a difference. You know, I was so I had to go back to work to my show two days after 9-11. And it was some dumb like my my boyfriend's cheating on me with my blah, blah. like 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 it was nonsense. It was mostly just like and I was like, no, no, this this can't be my legacy. <laughs> I need to do something else that's going to be a little bit more positive. And so I, I, I didn't know what it was, but Abby Epstein is a really good friend of mine, and she and I had done the vagina monologues together. Um, how apropos. <laughs> she had directed me in that, and I she came to visit me to see my new fat house and my new life out in L.A., and I said, you know, I have this idea. It's like I've, I was so impacted by both of my birth experiences, one in a hospital setting and one at home, and what I learned in between and how I got, you know, I got caught up in the whole art of birth and going to see Ina May talk and all these people. It's just I, I was so fascinated by what so many of my friends and peers did not know, mm-hmm. and um, so I gave Abby, uh, I remember it so vividly. I gave her Spiritual Midwifery, Ina May's book, uh, Birth as an American Rite of Passage, Robbie Davis Floyd's book, and my nine-hour home birth video that I had never watched. <laughs> it's like I my unedited nine-hour birth. Who shot it? Yeah. I think my doula and my husband would switch I'm over just... and... I mean, it was never shot to show to anyone. I mean, it was right. really to document my own experience. It's just like when people experience. just take pictures or video at their birth. And it was on a camcorder. I mean, it was like, you know, this is back in, like, I, my second son was born in 2001. You know, on one of those tapes, I had, it is still in the machine, and I just handed it to her, and I was like, here. And she sort of went back to New York and checked everything out, and she's like, I think it should be a documentary. And I was like, okay. And then it was like, all right, let's just start. And so then we bought the, I bought the equipment. She, you know, I paid for this movie. It was four hundred fifty thousand dollars no one would help us fund it you know and no one no one because they didn't care no because they did we went we went i remember we met with like hbo and they were like oh this is a great idea come back with the finished film you know home birth office yeah i know know. (laughs) right 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 no, I mean, no one – documentaries are really hard to make. They're really hard to – now with, like, Kickstarter and things like that, it's a little bit it's easier. easier you funding. know because you made your own I documentary. You know. Yeah. But it's – you know, 
like I said, this was a very personal project for me. I felt like this was something that I was so profoundly impacted by my relationship with my midwives, what it did for my my relationship with my body after giving birth on my own terms in my home, being respected, seeing what my I mean, like I still tap into that moment that's in the film where I, I my midwife told me to reach down and pull out my baby. I mean, that kind of feeling of empowerment total and beauty and mir- what a miracle my body was i mean it did so much for my 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 self esteem my psyche and my healing with hating my body for so many years i fell in love with it in that moment you know i feel and like i need to give birth in a bathtub it, it on a was, camcorder it was kind of next level and it was just you know what i felt like from my experience i'm not my film is not about telling women to do what i did that is not the message at all but it is there is a message of this opportunity for women to be tapped into their power is has been taken away in a lot of instances unbeknownst to them and not for any good reason that i can find you know it's really out of the interest of the hospitals and 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 you know protecting themselves from a loss all these all these factors play into that so i really wanted to educate women about the options that they have and the rights that they have when they give birth in a hospital and 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 give those women the power to make the choice that's best for them you know i don't yeah. judge any woman i mean people women come up to me and they're like oh i had to have this or had to have this i don't I don't really care. <laughs> as long as they feel good about their experience and they yeah. feel like they were informed and they and they have a healthy baby and a healthy mom, I mean, that's really all I could ask for. Um, it's interesting because there's a lot of places you can point your finger on why there's so much um, intervention in childbirth today. Um, and I, I think, and you probably agree, I don't want to speak for you, but that those interventions are amazing. Like when you need Absolutely. to have a cesarean, yes. there's nothing greater than having access to Absolutely. a cesarean. Uh, or even if you want to. Yes. Um, and if you need to have any of the other interventions, whether it's induction, augmentation, pain relief, um, they're great. But they're also overused and, and pushed a lot of times on people who don't need them and don't want them. And people are made to feel like they couldn't possibly have this baby without them. Mm-hmm. And the reasons for that, I think... In the title, the business of being born, sort of suggests there's a there's a business to it. Like if you're in my restaurant sitting at my table, I want you to eat your meal and go out so somebody else can eat their meal, you mm-hmm. know, and just kind of yep. move it through the factory. But also, um, we have a friend in common, Dr. Jennifer Lang. Mm-hmm. I love Dr. Lang. She's an amazing person, also very inspirational. Was just on the podcast recently. She has an episode where it sort of is her talking about the book, the whole nine months about prenatal nutrition, but she shares her first birth story. And it's really eye-opening because she's an OBGYN who chooses to have an elective cesarean because of all the fear that she has about childbirth because of the way it was presented to her in medical school. Very fear-based model. And so in her mind, none of the decisions that she was making for herself or her patients were because of money or because of the business. It was because that's the model that she really felt mm-hmm. is like the best way to support people and women is to intervene as often as possible to prevent anything from moving to the right or moving to the left. And then she shares her story, how she went and got she realized that she's electing to have surgery. She's young, strong, healthy, really superwoman in in my book, and electing to have surgery that she doesn't need. And then she has a hard time sleeping at nighttime because it's like I'm nervous about this option and I'm nervous about that option. And then she does hypnosis and um, 
Well, you can listen to the episode when you yeah. happens. It's kind of an amazing story. Yeah, she is an amazing story. Yeah, but I think a lot of a lot of the decisions are being made based on fear. And you know, a lot of these we all give up our power when we think doctors know best. You know, we're in a hospital setting; it's a place where sick people go, and you know, a lot of things are stacked against you. You know, so it's. I mean, I, honestly, I, I don't have the answer. Like, I think everybody should have the right to have the kind, the kind of birth they want, where they want. They should have all the options available to them. They just should be informed, you know. And it's, it's not a simple thing. Like, when you do have some sort of intervention, there is a pro, there is a con. There's many of them, you know. So it's just knowing what you're getting yourself into. And being at eight centimeters and sort of quasi-present is probably not the best time to start. Exploring your options. Yeah, I mean the um, movie. I, I made I made this movie with you know with the idea of like reaching people long before their family planning. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would love I love the idea of this being taught to teenagers. You know, yeah. and and really changing the norm of what birth is to them. You know, it's not it's not. It can be a real. I mean, I was thrilled when I went into labor. I couldn't wait to experience what labor felt like. You know, I was excited. I wasn't scared. You know, I, I trusted my body. I trusted my care provider. Um, I had all my backup in place. I mean, I I I was elated at 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 this opportunity. You know, this experience, and um, and so it's the mindset that I I think needs to be shifted. Sure, because you, know? you don't normally see that. Mm-hmm. All right, so we have another guest in the studio tonight. Her name is Sabah. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Of course. We go way back, almost a week, uh, <laughs> when we met. You're about 20 weeks into your pre- – about halfway through your pregnancy, mm-hmm. a little more. And um, we were just talking, chatting through our, our visit, and I was sort of like, hey, what kind of birth do you want to have? And then you became, in my mind, the question mark emoji, yeah. which is you're not 100% sure. Right. And so a lot of your friends, you said, recommended, why don't you watch The Business of Being Born? Because I guess it helped them mm-hmm. become more informed. And you told me, I, I'm nervous to watch The Business of Being Born. Tell me more about that. It's funny because uh, everyone who saw the film spoke about it and they said it was eye-opening. You have to see it. It was so much information to be gained. And I was just like, I don't want to be exposed to another institution that's going to disappoint me. And that's where my fear developed. I didn't want to necessarily know about how doctors operated in the hospitals. And there was a certain, you know, ignorance is bliss. Mm-hmm. And um, but in preparation for today, I said, okay, I have to watch it. So oh, you I, watched yeah, it? Yeah, I did. Oh, you did watch it. That's oh. funny. It's funny how the stars align. I was kind of, you know, go ahead, do it. And then my husband and I watched it last night, and um, the overall feeling was just confident and certain because I knew in my heart, once I was exposed to your documentary, I knew what the right decision for me was, and I would just wasn't ready to make that decision. Mm. So. That was my feeling. Hmm. But I still do have a lot of questions and doubts, and and I don't necessarily have a fear of of giving birth. I just – I'm uncertain as to what's the proper decision to make. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What does it feel like? Like what? What do you say? What is the proper decision to make? First of all, I always look at at, at a birth plan, for example, as a flowchart. Mm-hmm. What a lot of people consider their whole birth plan in my book is page one, right? I want to. It's the most natural birth you can possibly picture yourself wanting to have. So for some people, that's 
you know, squatting in a strawberry field with nobody around them. Fine. Some people, it's a home birth with a midwife, home birth with an obstetrician, which is an option we have here in L.A., or a hospital birth with a midwife, medicated, unmedicated, vaginal, abdominal. It doesn't matter. It's your birth. So in my mind, it's what's the most natural birth you want to have, and that's the starting point. Let's aim for that, right? But let's say you got to 36 weeks and found out your placenta was blocking your cervix, placenta previa. Almost nobody will deliver that baby vaginally because it doesn't make sense. The placenta will necessarily become traumatized, and it's dangerous for you and for the baby. So then we have this great, safe other way to get the baby out. So that's an example of going down the flow chart. If you're in labor, and let's say your your plan was, I want an unmedicated birth at the hospital. I want to labor at home for a long time and then go to the hospital later. And you're in labor and you start to feel overwhelmed by it and you start to not just have pain but suffering, then you have lots of different options on how you can alleviate that discomfort for yourself. So in your mind, you're looking for like the right choice. What strikes you at the beginning or do you not have enough information about the choices? Well, I, I never had a vision for a birth plan. I still don't have a birth plan. I never envisioned it to be any, a certain kind of way. Uh, what what really struck me is is this issue, this growing issue with autism and mm. what's the right decision to make for my baby and how do these drugs impact my baby? And um, there just wasn't enough information out there for me to make a decisive decision and then create a birth plan because that was that is the most important to me. And uh, part of watching the documentary, there was a section they spoke about how there's not enough um, data on long-term effects of epidurals and Pitocin, but also the mixing of those cocktails and what that does on the fetus and, you know, so... Yeah, it's a lot to consider, but you do have options, yeah. and that it must have been empowering. I would imagine to have the information, you know, better. The whole ignorance is, is bliss thing, I think, is is is. I mean, it, I I personally think it's better to know what you're what you're getting yourself into. You know, when you step into a hospital, mm-hmm. you know, and and I I realize like yes, I'm a filmmaker, but I'm also pretty opinionated about my own choices. Like I didn't like personally being plugged into an IV when I wasn't sick. You know, mm-hmm. that idea of like, you know. It, 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 it's a very personal choice that you have to make, you know, mm-hmm. but you have options and you have someone, I mean, on your side, Elliot Berlin is the best, you know. And how do you, nice. how do you work with your patients? Like with someone like that, like here that she's, she doesn't know, do you, do you, do you offer suggestions? Well, I, I try to, it, we're on the same page, informed pregnancy and business. No, we're doulas, but we're not supposed to advocate for the patient, right? So we're, well, it's, can't push our own it's agenda. It's a different kind of advocacy. The advocacy is information. Mm-hmm. Right. The advocacy is to give put you in the driver's seat. And you can't really be in the driver's seat unless you have awareness of what what map options you have. You want to get from point A, which is where you are now, healthy and pregnant, to point B, which is healthy and holding a mm-hmm. healthy baby on the other side. But there's a million ways to get there. Mm-hmm. And if you don't if you're not familiar with the map, then you know, basically somebody else is going to root it for you and just push you along that whether that whether that was best for you or not. Right. So once you know your choices, then you can sort of set up a plan to, to find support for those choices. But unless you know the options, you can't. So the, what I do is I always tell people, watch the business of being born. And if, usually they've seen it already. But mm-hmm. if not, watch the business of being born. Read Ina May, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, become aware of, of birth my sense is most people today, because we're not exposed to birth, I mean, it's incredible that you shared your birth footage uh, with the world. It's so intimate and so personal. 
Um, you know, I get really embarrassed if one of my top buttons is undone. And I'm like, oh, no, believe I can't me. Believe I was I, when I think about the fact that I let that footage out there, I mean, it really, I, I, I joke that I would have changed. Had I known I was going to show this to the world, I would have had a top on. I would have removed the shampoo bottles behind my head, and I would have had better lighting. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it was very believable um, the way you did it. Uh, I don't know how many takes you did, but um, it, it's really powerful. And and again, just another place where it just became inspiring me to me that you found this. I need to share this message. So here I am. Take me or leave me. Um, and, and Abby too. Abby, my partner, who mm-hmm. has a, has the C section at the end. You know, I mean, we were making this film for for three years before she had her baby at the end, and you know, we were going one direction. We were we were making a movie about home birth, home birth really, yeah. and then she had this emergency, very justified, necessary C section. It's like, oh boy, like where do we go from here with our film? But ultimately, it was it was a gift for the film because it balanced the movie. Um, but but yeah, I mean it's it was it was very personal for both of us, and um, I'm just I'm glad it I'm 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 so it's it's the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my life outside of having my two children, honestly. Um, and it was again, a great uh, also uh, commercial for shampoo. For shampoo, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> no, I, since then I started using shampoo and conditioner. Oh my goodness! In one. Um, okay, so Sabe, I mean, another thing that I like to sort of see if Look, there are some people who don't want to have any involvement in their own birth, very little. They mm-hmm. want to go to a practitioner who will make all the decisions for them, and they want to know as little as possible, and that's sometimes okay too. But you don't get to do this very often. I mean, you you are going to be there at a moment when a human being comes out of your body into the world, this in sacred, like really incredible moment for the universe, but also for you. So there's a million ways you can experience that. And there's pros and cons to every choice. Um, in, in addition to the long-term effects for the baby, it's also the long-term effects for you and both physical and mental health really? effects um, of the journey. So, you know, in your mind, would you you start sort of, I think, like what setting is comfortable? Do you want to have a baby at home or do you want to have a baby at a birthing center or a hospital right. or in the back of you? Well, it's funny because before watching the documentary, it was like I had this fear. And once I put this fear aside and, and stopped making my decisions based on this fear, I walked away feeling invigorated by your documentary. Mm-hmm. And I considered there was so much to consider that you never thought about before even the fact that uh, you release a certain uh, bonding oxytocin yeah and I had no idea and so those little things just it helps me develop my birth plan now Mm -hmm. by being exposed to this information which I initially thought I was going to be afraid of but it was the complete opposite and I think now I'm kind of taking that same mentality towards my birth as, you know, okay, you have these small fears, but if you just put them aside, you, you know, you'll have this wonderful experience. Yeah. So, um, well, that's pretty cool. That's the that effect. Cool. Yeah. yeah. That's the Bob effect. Well, that's the, the plan. I wanted to alleviate effect. fear, you know. That's great. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so many people, you, you said earlier, you wanted to, it's what people do not know that you wanted to address. Um, and that's that's what happens is there's there's such a 
most of us, about medical things in general. We just don't ask questions. My parents' generation was a lot simpler. You know, their philosophy is do whatever the doctor tells you. Mm -hmm. And it was a simpler time for everybody. The doctors even had a simpler time. Now they're pulled in a million. We, I am a doctor. We are pulled in a million different directions by malpractice insurance, which wants you to do only things that are are litigiously safe Mm -hmm. by medical insurance in terms of what's going to be paid for or not going to be paid for. And um, by time constraints, mm-hmm. you know, how much time that we're really given to spend with a patient on a certain thing. So if I, if I as a, your doctor, have three options in front of me and one is going to pay well and not take very long and another one is not going to pay well and take a lot longer, as a human being, I'm sort of driven to why don't you just take this option? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it may be the best one for you or it may not be the best one for you. So in today's day and age with all these forces on, on medical providers – and, and the institutions, too, like the hospital, um, you have to be a very active participant yes, in yeah. your own decision-making. Yes, yes. You can't do it without the information. Yeah. Yep. You have to It's funny because this morning uh, I had actually my OB appointment. <laughs> oh, and really? I Is that before was, or after you watched the movie? This was bef- after. So okay. I saw it last night. I went to the OB this morning, and I looked at her with a new set of eyes and ears and it sounded different, and I, and I just kept thinking, well, slow down, doctor. You're talking really <laughs> fast. I need you to slow down because you're not alleviating my concerns truly. Mm-hmm. You're just throwing words at me. So wow. it, it, it was it was a phenomenal experience. Did for she me call this you morning. on it? Did she, was she like, did you watch the business? Of <laughs> <laughs> did you tell her? Did I didn't bring it up. I should have. I'm so yeah. I don't know whether doctors like like at this point roll their eyes. I mean, in the beginning, I mean, you remember? I, I probably tell you stories. The movies. It's ten years now since yeah. the movie came out, and in the beginning, they they were so angry with us, and they, I mean, they. They really they they said horrible things to us. We were you know targeted in a re- resolution with the AMA. I mean it was really really bad. But then nine years later, Cedar Sinai gave me the Mother of the Year award. You uh-huh. know it's just so funny how it's not funny, but it's just interesting how you know the consumer really dictates the change. You know it's like they got this information and these mothers have spoken out and changes are happening in these hospitals all around the country. It's really. It's powerful. We do have the power. You, you know? are, but you are that spark. Like you got the birth ball rolling, and then we're just like literally everything I do is inspired by that. Oh, that's amazing. So you became a doula. Yes, I haven't practiced, but I did go through the certification. With oh, are you going to start going to some birth? I would do it for friends. I mean, I just I don't know. Here, to be honest, I think I'm a better advocate for the for the profession and for the birth world than I am. I'm a little too opinionated, I think. And and I I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think if a dear friend of mine wanted me to participate and be their doula, I would I would be honored and I would jump at the chance. But mm-hmm. I'm not really taking clients. Okay, I hear you. <laughs> I'm not, although I was going to assist you. Remember there was one birth you yeah. said for me to come in, yeah. and I was going to, but then she changed her mind something or something happened. happened. Yeah. But yeah, well, I, I still... How many births do you do a month? I I just stopped going about three months ago. You stopped because it was I too stopped. much. I yeah. was going to too many births. I was yeah. going to one or two births a week, and and I work at the office 10, 12 hours. And you a have all what four I kids, got, five I think kids, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 I lost track. <laughs> uh, so it's uh, yeah, it was too much for me. It, 
And I just wasn't seeing my kids. That's what I was saying earlier, the work-life balance. So Absolutely. right now I'm doing this. I have, uh, I think, another friend of ours, so I am going to do her birth in the summer. Um, and because I was at her first, then she really wants me to come to her. I'll tell second. you, if I were to have another child, I'd like you at my birth. I'll be there. Yeah. No I don't problem. think that's happening. Maybe a grandchild. That's why, that. I, that's why I can commit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you probably... Yeah, I'm sure you're going to end up attending birth as a doula. You're so passionate. And also, you can help um, somebody tap in. You've been there in a way that I, I could never because I'll not, I'll not do that. Um, I'll never – in one sense, I'll never have to do it. In another sense, I'll never have the opportunity right, to do it. Right, right. But um, you have. So there's a way that you can sort of connect with somebody. I see – I have this because I do body work at birth. So sometimes I'm there with a doula very right, frequently. right. And I get to watch these amazing. Like I go to birth with Anna Paula and watch her just. She is a she's my goddess. Yeah, she's Anna Paula Markell. If I can beanie birth, she's an educator, childbirth educator. I was trained with her. She's one of my dearest friends. She's she's an angel. We've got an episode of the podcast of Anna Paula oh, talking she, about oh, everything she, about what a doula is and how they're trained and what their scope of practice is and how to pick one. Yes, she's yes. magic, and she trained both of us to be doulas yes. and my wife to be a doula as well. So I get to watch these amazing do us in in practice and i just know because you're so passionate and and birth is amazing it's the most it's like it's the most miraculous experience and particularly if you can see one that's natural and see a woman in that moment like it it is it is awe it is just sheer awe inspiring to to watch a woman give birth it's 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 one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see in your life yeah it's sort of Sometimes it's like this reality competition, it seems like, or watching somebody uh, climb Mount Everest who doesn't think they can do it, mm -hmm. right? And then they have this Sherpa, and the Sherpa's been there and knows the, the, the ropes a little bit, you know, and sort of guides you. And uh, just when you think you can't do it, you know, you realize that you can or you, you get a little distraction and go. And then that, that climax, when you, when you do it, However it is that you do it and this baby comes into the world and you're holding them, it's just uh, – it's an incredible moment. It's um, it's addictive. So now it's been three months that I haven't been at a birth and I'm you like, miss it. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, my children – my oldest is turning 21 next month. My youngest is going to be 17. And the youngest, the youngest is the water birth that's Your in water the baby. <laughs> I still – when I think back on that moment, I mean, it's just – that was one of the most – powerful moments in my life you know and and it's it's changed me on on every level like that that if i can do that i can do anything that has yeah. stayed with me through every aspect of my life so it's interesting i i don't have very visual visual memories especially with face, faces but all of my kids births are are sort of burned in my mind like with with a branding iron but the water birth we had one water birth and the incredible thing about water birth there's a lot of them, but is that you kind of the baby comes out in water and isn't breathing yet. They're just in water like they are inside you. And then the midwife put him in my wife's hands and she brought him to the surface and then brought him through. And you watch him take his first breath. Mm -hmm. It's usually lost. That moment is so burned in my head. Um, so I'm grateful for that. Um, we're, we're running out of time. I do have another question for Ricky, but do you have any other questions? 
Oh, I have plenty of questions. Fire I'd love away. to hear more. I mean, even just about your, your documentary, um, when your friend, uh, the director, uh, I didn't understand how the doctor didn't catch that the baby wasn't mm. getting the nutrients yeah. that it needed. Yeah, because she was having a home birth, so she had not seen him regularly. He was the backup doctor. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I have to remember because it was 10 years ago now. <laughs> but, it, but, the, but he didn't see her regularly. Like at, mm-hmm. that po- at that point in pregnancy, he would have seen her every week, but the midwife was seeing her and she was measuring fine. So it was just something that slipped through the cracks and they didn't catch it. And and he, the baby had IUGR, mm-hmm. intrauterine um, growth, growth restriction, re- retardation. Either way. And um, she, I mean, most cases, those babies die. They're stillborn. And so she was very lucky that, you know, he was he was he was born at 36 weeks. I remember he was three pounds. Something oh, my God. My sneakers are tiny, three tiny, tiny. But but ultimately, he's he's healthy. He's now he's 11. Wow. Or 12. He's like, Goes I fast. Mean, Mateo. Mateo is, you know, he's amazing. He's an amazing kid. He's a huge Clipper fan, too. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's why, because he wasn't, because she had a midwife, Mm -hmm. they they just, they, they, they missed it. You know, and it wasn't negligent on anyone's part. It just was the sometimes way it you, happened. Yeah, sometimes the you know, so and measuring the size of a baby is not an exact science either. There's no scale for them inside. So sometimes you think they're healthy. You know, measuring average, and they come out much smaller. Sometimes you think they're going to be ten or eleven pounds, mm-hmm. and they come out seven or eight pounds. And they don't know why he was restricted. They don't know why he wasn't getting the nutrients. I mean, it's just like those some of those things you just you just never know. Hmm. Great. What else you got? Actually, about your new documentary, um, ah. I, I myself love edibles, and uh, it's helped me um, with my body because I, I tend to contract a lot and, and hold a lot of tension, and so it helps me relax and get out of my mind and release my body. And, and my I believe that if I could use CBD oil, um, that it would help me in the birthing process. Mm-hmm. But this mm. is just my own theory. I have mm. no A lot of people ask about to, that, yeah. and use of uh, marijuana during um, childbirth. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to be recommending any cannabis for uh, pregnancy. You'll have to ask your doctor about that. But in the film, we have this incredible woman who happens to be a midwife. She's a Mormon midwife herbalist, and she's in our film. And she brings out these old medical journals, journals from the early 1800s, where and she she dog-eared everywhere there was mentions of cannabis, and oh, cannabis was used for every ailment. Every condition, including labor and delivery, and it's in these books from the early 1800s. Wow! So, um, yeah, and she's like, she's like, it's just a travesty that these, that this is gone. This information has just been wiped off the map because of, you know, making it illegal 75 years ago. Right. So, um, on the, I don't know either the safety of it, but it's on the surface. But as soon as people hear about it, like, oh wow, marijuana during pregnancy, you can't do that, or during childbirth, that's. That's a disaster. Horrible. How could you possibly do that? You're pregnant. But then when you look at the drugs that we do give yes. during labor and the delivery, it's, they're, so, they're, they're powerful too. I guess the argument from the medical side is how, how they've been studied right? Um, and for their effectiveness and safety during pregnancy. But uh, we haven't been allowed to study. No. The but they effect. are being you – know, things are being studied much more so outside of this country. So Israel is one of the leading states uh, uh, countries for the science, studying the science, particularly with cancer. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's incredible. And that's in our film as well. Oh, cool. So, but I would ask your doctor. I mean, CBD is, is I don't think your doctor, based on what I know so far. no so far. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But I, I can't wait to see that new documentary. Yes. Weed the baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Well, thank you.
you for having me. Oh my gosh, I wish oh, you the yeah. best. It's a pleasure. Well, we're, maybe we'll have you back on the other side after you have the baby, I'd so love we can that. find out how your journey continued yes. and how it um, all came to played be out. for you. Played out for you. Having a boy or a girl? Do you know? A boy. Nice. <laughs> I was pretty sure it was a boy or a girl, but <laughs> I'm usually right. not sure what it looks like. <laughs> exactly. It's a, it's, it's a baby question mark. <laughs> Um, I did have a question from our Facebook page, and they wanted to know, Ricky, how you how you talk to people who know their choices are limited uh, for one reason or another, and if you have any thoughts for them. For example, like someone who wants to do a vaginal birth after cesarean, but there are no providers in their area. Someone who wants to l- deliver a breech baby, but there are no providers in their area. Um, someone who wants to do a home birth, but there's like backlash from family or friends. I mean, I, I, I think you make the best choices for you within the your circumstances. I mean, it is unfortunate. I don't know how many hospitals today don't do VBAC. I mean, I think back in the day, it was like 300 hospitals refused to do VBAC. I felt feel like that's changing. It is changing. But I mean, we're here in Los Angeles, so there's a lot of support for VBAC. Mm-hmm. But if you go 20 miles out of Los Angeles, right. no Ventura, support at all. There's still no support up in Yeah. You go, I mean, I don't know each city, but when you go literally 20 miles out of here, I get it's... requests all the time. Is there a doctor in my area, a hospital in my area? There just aren't. So I think the bigger cities that mm-hmm. have hospitals that do high volume and there's residents and there's hospitals always on the floor they do them but you go into smaller towns and there's just they don't have they a lot of times the hospitals just don't feel like they can handle it because um there's no anesthesiologist there 24 7 there's no there's no surgeon there 24 7 so if they would have to jump in there's no NICU sometimes and so they don't feel comfortable equipped but that means you know sometimes women drive Hundreds yeah. of miles. Uh, just... Yeah, I think I think it's limiting for a lot of people. I think it's just knowing, you know, doing the research in your own town and seeing what options are available to you. I mean, I know people who went down to Ina May on the farm, you know, to deliver those midwives, babies, you know. Yeah. But who can leave their families or their jobs? So for... can. She can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Ina May will. She'll have some <laughs> some sort of herbal remedy for you. I'm not sure I gave the best answer, but I, you know, it's, it's you. It's <laughs> honest. It's like. Chase, and I'm no expert. Like, I've never claimed to be an expert on any of this. I'm just curious, and I'm someone that had an experience, and um, hopefully I'm, like, informing others through what I've learned. Yeah. Do you, over the 10 years of of this movie, and, and in many ways you've moved on to other projects, but in the 10 years of this movie, the response that you've had to it, of course there was a negative response from the powers that be, but... Um, even some of them, they've come around, but the response from the, I mean, I can't imagine the, the literally, if not thousands of people that I've come in contact to personally, that have been so personally affected by your film and your sharing your story. It's the greatest gift in my life. I mean, honestly, and the fact that it stemmed from the births of my two children, it's the most rewarding thing I, I maybe will ever do in my lifetime. People, women come up and literally cry. It happens to Abby all the time in the streets of New York. It happens to me so many times. They're so compelled to share their birth stories with me. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible because we never anticipated any of it. You know, it was like this little pet project that I felt compelled to do. And the fact that it's had this impact, I mean, it, it's, just, it's, it's just remarkable. Okay, on to something much more serious. 
Mm-hmm. Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> That's another accomplishment that I'm very proud of. I know. I mean, I, were you you were a singer as a Yeah, as I was a not teenager. a dancer. I mean, I danced in Hairspray. I was a dancer in that, you know, I was the fat girl that could move. But no, I became a ballroom dancer with you beat that me guy. Up for that role. I wanted uh, to yeah. be the fat girl that could move. Yeah. <laughs> you could have been my brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so how did how did that come to be and were you nervous about it? I and... turned them down every year. They'd ask me to do Do you watch that show? Dance? I do, yeah. yeah. I I had been asked every year, and I was like, "There's no way. I'm not. I'd never done a reality show. I was like, I'm, I'm not doing. I'm not doing it. I was going back on the air to do a talk show, so I was convinced it would be good timing. Okay, and it was, and it was one of the hardest experiences. In some ways, it was even harder than labor. I think because the labor is short lived. That was three and a half months of no day off. Um, I had blisters everywhere. I what? Just pushing your body. My body was, I mean, I just, I lost like 25 pounds, 25, 30 pounds in like a very short amount of time. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I was so sore. I broke a rib. I had a knee injury. Oh, my goodness. But I became like a sick dance. I mean, it was like, it was, it was amazing. And the live aspect of it, you know, you didn't know what could happen. And it was, it was amazing. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Really? I would. I lost 12 and a half pounds watching that season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, and you know I have another documentary that's in production about birth control. Tell you me know? about it. Well, it's called Sweetening the Pill, and that one's going to really make some people at Big Pharma maybe a little- Not happy with you? On edge. Um, well, I mean, we're going to do what we did for birth. We're going to do for birth control. And so basically, again, it's about informed choice. It is always from a place of informing the 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 public about their options. So, you know, it's not really fair that a woman spends five minutes with her doctor to talk about birth control options or with Planned Parenthood. There are a lot of pros and cons that we don't really think about, and um, so we're going to explore those those options for people and um, shed some light on what these drugs do to these women. Wow. When do you sleep? Oh, I, I mean, I do sleep. You I, do I sleep. so much. I'm also into cryptocurrency. That's become my new passion. I'm way into that. I'm, you know, and I'm still grieving my my loss. So it's been, it's been, I'm busy and I'm inspired again because there was a time where I did not want to really get up and do anything. There was a few months there where I was really in a dark place and I feel like I'm finally coming back to life and there's a lot to live for. Oh, I'm happy that you've come to that point. It's it's just great to see you and it's follow you. It's always great you. to see you. I love following you on social media yeah. and just I like, don't do a lot. I mean, I'm very I I'm not I don't do the Instagram stories and all that. I just the stuff about my husband I felt compelled to because I I want I want him his memory living on with the people that care about me and thus care about him. Is there a place to follow the projects that you're working on? We do have a site. Abby and I have. We're going to redo our website. I think it, well, you can go to thebusinessbeingborn.com or you can go to and Ricky and Abby Films. Oh, yeah. com. There's Ricky.com. There's Ricky Lake. It all goes to the same place pretty much. Okay. <laughs> I am going to try to get a new website going because I really think I've never done it. I've just, I'm kind of a dinosaur in that way. I, I know I need to get with the technology and do something. I, I do. I, my dream also is that maybe one day you'll do like birth flicks. Birth flicks. What's that? It's just take all because there's so many great um, documentaries and other media about that were sparked, I think, by the business of being born. Uh, and they're just they're hard to find. Like they're all small little independent. Oh, things. and have like a hub. Have like Netflix for like birth birthy you stuff. Think there's enough product out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean yeah because you know it's a it's a time and space. It's like pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum. So. 
um, I think there's a lot there's a lot of stuff. And I think all those a lot of those creators will would love to get together and just have their stuff be That's seen. That's a good idea. And so like a, just a streaming site where you can just watch and share. I never get sick of birth. Like honestly, it's ten years into it. I've had my my kids. My oldest is about to be twenty one. I never get tired of hearing birth stories. It's it's still my passion. It's still something I love. And and yeah, I, I mean, I look at you, and I, you're so lucky that you're having this experience. Like I I don't want more children, but I love the experience of being pregnant. Like, I gotta I gotta take you to a birth. Take me to a birth. Yeah. yeah, take me to a birth. Yeah, I'm gonna take it. Don't over. ask you. Yeah, I'll just like like just just take it all in. I would love that. A natural birth. Yeah. Like a, like a home birth. Yeah, I'll take be, it I would over. love that. For sure. If they'll have me, I'll bring some good food oh, or something. They'll, they'll have you. Oh, food is just sweetening <laughs> the. P- oh no. Um, okay. <laughs> all right, we gotta go. Um, Sabaya, thank you so much for being thank here you and again sharing for your story. We are gonna follow up you. with you and see how things go, and I'm gonna take care of you. And what a beautiful thank pregnant you. woman you are. Oh, thank you. Yes, nothing more That's beautiful. That's liquid gold. I hear. It. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, uh, Ricky Lake, my Elliot, hero. Thank I you. Love you. Thank you so much for being here. It's my and pleasure, sharing. honestly. I won't do this for many people, but I'll do it for you. Oh, you're the best. I appreciate you. At home, thanks for listening to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. If you have a topic you want us to discuss, send your suggestions to info at informedpregnancy.com and visit us online for lots more pregnancy and parenting media at informedpregnancy.com.